Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, dear Almonia family, for that good music. Take your Bible this evening, please, and open to the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis, we're going to be looking into the life of an unusual Bible character. <coughs> His name is Melchizedek. Melchizedek. And we're in Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14. Please follow along as I read verses 18, 19, and 20. Now this took place after the um, what's called the Battle of the Kings. And Abraham went out and battled and helped to rescue Lot, his nephew, and a whole bunch of other people, and a lot of the stuff that they, they took. And so after this battle is all done, we're introduced to this mysterious figure, and it is Melchizedek. So beginning at verse 18, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he, that's Abraham, gave him, that's Melchizedek, tithes of all. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, this is a most unusual Bible character. Lord, we're not told much about him, but there's enough in the Bible for, uh, to make a good Bible study and lessons for our life. Our Heavenly Father, speak with us tonight. Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would be the teacher and the preacher and bring us to a further, greater, better knowledge of the truth. Have thine own way, Lord, in every heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to look at this man, Melchizedek, under several points, and we're going to begin with his name. Now, that's an odd name, wouldn't you say? Melchizedek, Melchizedek. The name is actually two, two names stuck together. The Melk means king. It's Hebrew for king. And the Tzaddik means righteousness. And so, therefore, Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Now, his city, we're told here in verse 18, is Salem. Uh, in Hebrew, it's pronounced Shalom. And the, uh, the word Shalom means peace. Now, I'd like you to look, please, in the book of Hebrews. And I'd like you to put a marker there because we're going to be looking at uh, several verses in Hebrews. Hebrews is an excellent commentary on Melchizedek back in Genesis. So if you would kindly... Open your Bible to Hebrews and go to chapter 7. And we have Melchizedek right here in chapter 7, verse 1 of Hebrews. But look at verse 2. Um, let's see. To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, being first by interpretation. This is Melchizedek's name. First by interpretation, king of righteousness. See that? King of of righteousness and after that also 
king of Salem, which is king of peace. King of peace. And so you have these these two uh, titles for Melchizedek. And um, Shalem is the name of his city. Now this is the same city that later became known as Jerusalem. And so the idea is there's a teaching of peace here. Did you know that the Lord Jesus Christ will reign over the world from Jerusalem? Did you know that? That's what the Bible teaches. And if you look, please, in the middle of your Bible at Psalms, and we'll go to Psalm 76. Psalm 76, there we are. And in verse 2, we're told uh, concerning God, in Shalom also is his tabernacle and his dwelling place in Zion. Also, if you wanted to take the time, you could look up Zechariah chapter 8 and read verses 3 to 8. And you'll see here also that the Lord Jesus Christ will reign. Now, speaking of Christ and Melchizedek, there's an interesting correlation between the two. And Melchizedek often pictures the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, righteousness and peace have met together. And we've got Melchizedek, king of righteousness, and king of Salem, king of peace. That's Melchizedek. And the Lord Jesus Christ, also king of righteousness and king of peace. He is the prince of peace. Let me hear you say amen. And he's the coming prince of peace. Amen, amen. Boy, I'm excited, folks. You know, as much as I do not care for the pandemic and what it's done to the world, I am excited that the Lord Jesus Christ can come at any day, at any moment during any day. That's why it's the imminent. The imminent coming of Jesus Christ. And, oh, beloved, the world looks like it's getting ready, 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 ripe for the picking, for the tribulation and the Antichrist, which means the coming of the, the, the king of righteousness and the king of peace. It could be any day now. Come to call us home. I hope you're living your life for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in Psalms, if you go there again, please, Look at Psalm 110, 110, and verse number 4, 110 verse 4. The Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now here's an oath that God makes, and the oath that made Jesus a high priest. Now, as we're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ here, this is prophecy in verse 4 of Psalm 110. And this happened after the law of Moses in the days of King David. And so here is an amazing prophecy that God makes concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's interesting, the connection between Melchizedek and the Lord Jesus Christ. We see uh, many such connections. If you'd go back to Hebrews uh, and chapter number 5. Hebrews chapter 
5, you'll see in verse number 6, And he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You know, it carries right on, folks, to, to verse 10. Again, you can read the, these verses after, take the time after, read the verses. But a striking, striking parallel between Melchizedek and our Lord Jesus Christ. This is, to me, one more evidence, one more proof that God wrote the Bible. Back in the days of Abraham, something like 1800 B.C., 3,800 years ago, spoke of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's evidence to me. God wrote the Bible. And uh, also you could read uh, chapter, chapter 7 of, of Hebrews in its entirety. And an interesting phrase you will see used six times in the book of Hebrews. Six times is this phrase, after the order of Melchizedek. And it's the order of the priesthood to which Jesus Christ belongs. He is our priest, meaning that we go through him to God the Father. There's no more need of earthly priests. No more need whatsoever. You know, interestingly, during this pandemic, the Roman Catholic Church, headed by Pope Francis, has made a striking proclamation. Now you know that the Catholics all teach that they need earthly priests to go through to confess their sins to and uh, to have the priest uh, uh, minister to them and to pray for them and so on. That's Old Testament um, typology, Old Testament teaching. We don't need that anymore because we're told in the New Testament, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus. We go through Christ Jesus to get to the Father. We do not need earthly priests anymore. Since Jesus died and rose again, it's been done away with. We don't need earthly priests to get to God. And Pope Francis came out just a few weeks ago in the light of the pandemic because people were stuck at home. They couldn't get to their churches. The churches, Catholic churches, were all closed up. And the Pope himself proclaimed, Folks, you, you can go directly to God. You're his children. You don't need a priest. I paraphrased the Pope's exact words there, but you can look that up. That's what the Pope said. My, oh, my, he's quite a man, isn't he, this fella Francis? But what he's done, I think, is he's revealed a biblical truth because he's right. We don't need earthly priests. We can go directly to God. We have our priest, Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord, we have the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is our priest. So getting back to Melchizedek, we've learned a little bit about his name, a little bit about his city. Now we want to learn a, a little bit about his provisions. And if you look, please, back at Genesis chapter 14, and verse number 18, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth, Bread and wine. Bread and wine. You know, there's uh, uh, something interesting about this. Now, this bread and wine was for Abraham and possibly for those of, of his little army. He had, I think, about 300 men that were with him. 
So there may have been a fair bit of bread and wine. Melchizedek brought this forth, and it was for Abraham. And the interesting thing is that there's a connection, a foreshadowing, if you will, the body and the blood of Christ. Now, when we come to the body and blood of Christ, we have to be very careful here because the Bible never calls it wine. We're told that it's the fruit of the vine. We're told that it's the cup. But we're, it's never, you check me out on this, it's never called wine, W-I-N-E. There's a tremendous study to be done on the subject of wine. There's a book I want to recommend to you. And it's all about the Bible wines and so on. And there's a preacher down in the States. And he's spent many, many years compiling what I believe to be the greatest single source on the subject of Bible wines. And if you want to get in touch with our office, I can put you in touch. I can show you where to get that book. That's a book I think every Christian needs to read. A book that needs to be on the shelf of every Christian home is this Bible Wines book. And it makes an absolute rock-solid case for abstinence from alcohol. Wine could be unfermented or fermented in the Bible. It's all called wine. Unfermented, fermented. It's all the same word, wine. But I think what the Holy Spirit did to make absolutely sure that there was no connection with any kind of fermentation and alcohol was when it comes to the, 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 the shed blood of Christ and the communion service. It's only called the cup. It's called the fruit of the vine. It's never called wine. So we have a very interesting connection here. Uh, quite, quite possibly a foreshadowing of Christ's broken body and his shed blood. And you can check that out in Matthew 26, verses 26 to 28. Matthew 26, verses 26 to 28. You can check it out there. Now, Melchizedek, we've looked at his name. We've looked at his city. We've looked at his provisions. Now we want to look at his office, his office. And so we're told here in Chapter 14 of Genesis and verse 18. He's a king. He's a king. I believe that he foreshadows the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read for you in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 14 and 15. It says here that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so Melchizedek being a king, there's so much connection and correlation and foreshadowing between Melchizedek and Christ that this concept of Melchizedek being a king must foreshadow the Lord Jesus Christ because Melchizedek, what's he doing there? Why does he suddenly appear on the scene and then disappear? There's, there's no record of his lineage. There's, there's no record at all of his 
his genealogy or 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 his his children there's nothing we know very little about this man and yet he's in the bible for a reason and particularly the book of hebrews and in psalms but particularly hebrews makes it very clear that it's a foreshadowing a foreshadowing and you know if you've read the life of abraham Abraham walked with God. You know that to be true. You know it's true, and Abraham would meet up with God here and then meet up with God there. Well, I believe that Melchizedek was not God, but he pictured for us the coming King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There's this tremendous picture here, his office. Now, not only was Melchizedek a king, but also he was a priest of the Most High God. And you'll see that at the end of verse 18. Genesis 14, verse 18. Priest of the Most High God. And of course, that foreshadows the Lord Jesus Christ. Absolutely. Uh, let's see if we can pick that up in Hebrews. You got your, your bookmark there in Hebrews? And we'll go to, let's see. Um... My, oh my. You know what? You can pretty much, you can pretty much read. <laughs> we, there's too much to read. There is too much to read. Hebrews chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10. We have here the foreshadowing uh, of Melchizedek onto the Lord Jesus Christ as a priest of the Most High God. Now, quite possibly, we have Melchizedek being a king first. See, how did this happen in the life of Melchizedek? How did he get to be the priest of the Most High God? Possibly, he was a king first of Salem, Jerusalem, and then God reveals himself to Melchizedek, and then Melchizedek becomes a priest for his people there. So we have the name Melchizedek, we have the city of Jerusalem, we have the provisions that Melchizedek brought, the bread and the wine, we have his office as king and as priest, tremendous picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we have his authority, his authority. And in uh, verse 20 of chapter 14 of Genesis, it says, And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. Now watch what comes next. And he, that's Abraham, gave him, that's Melchizedek, tithes of all. Abraham gave tithes to Melchizedek. Melchizedek was not God. Melchizedek was a human, a man. He was a king and a priest. But Abraham recognized right away that this man walked with God and talked with God. Abraham right away recognized that Melchizedek served the same God that he himself served and lived for. And so it was only right. We have here Melchizedek's authority. He had the authority to receive tithes. God hasn't given that authority to just everyone. When we give our tithes, we give by faith, and we're giving to God. For example, if you took your tithe, which means 10% of your cash flow, someone says, is that 10% before tax or after tax? 
Well, you have to decide, my friend, who is your first creditor. You have to decide to whom do you owe your life and your eternal soul. And if you think it's the government, well, I think you're wrong, if that's what you think. The government, you know, thank the Lord for our our government, but our government is not our first creditor. God himself, God Almighty, is our first creditor. So when you take your tithe, which is 10% of your income stream, if you've got one job, two jobs, whatever your income is, and you take 10% of that, and you run and give it to the government, the government has no authority to receive your tithe. You say, oh, oh I won't do that mistake again. So you, you, run, you run to the workplace and you give it to your boss. Your boss has no authority of God to receive your tithe. You see, by faith, you're not giving your tithe to God. And by the way, don't take your tithe and go and give it to fast food restaurants. Don't take your tithe and, and give it to the, the lotto people. They're multi-million dollar scratch and lose lotto. Don't be taking your tithe and, and filling up your gas tank with your tithe. Don't take your tithe and go on vacation with it or buy yourself a new boat. No, my friend, your tithe belongs to God Almighty. Abraham, when he gave tithes to Melchizedek, he was doing it by faith and giving to God. Some people seem to think that tithing is an Old Testament law and that we're not under law, we're under grace. Well, I have news for you, my friend. Abraham was not under law either. He was not under law because Moses didn't come until several hundred years later. There was no laws of Moses in the days of Abraham. Abraham was not under law any more than you and I are under law. And yet Abraham felt in his heart he wanted to honor deity. And that's what you do when you honor deity. You pray to deity. You humble yourself in front of deity. You serve deity. You give your tithes to deity. Now, that's an important point. And I know you've heard me speak on this before, but the picture here tonight is between Melchizedek and Jesus Christ. And just as Melchizedek received tithes, so does Jesus Christ. Look over in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 7. Now, let's see. We'll pick up here. In verse number four. Now I want you to see this. So please take a moment. Open your Bible to Hebrews chapter seven. This is very important. Verse four. Now consider how great this man was. Melchizedek. Unto whom even the patriarch Abraham. Gave the tenth of the spoil. And verily. They that are of the sons of Levi. Now this is the Aaronic priesthood. Aaron was the brother of Moses. From Aaron, we have the priesthood, the Aaronic priesthood, and we have the, the he was of the, the tribe of Levi, so the Levites. Aaron and his sons and so on, they were all Levites. So, uh, and verily, they that are of the sons of Levi who receive the office of the priesthood have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law. So there it is, tithing is part of law as well. 
that is, of their brethren, though they come uh, out of the loins of Abraham. But he, this is a reference back to Melchizedek, he whose descent is not counted from them, that's Aaron and the Levites and all that, received tithes of Abraham. Melchizedek wasn't in the Levitical priesthood. He had nothing to do with Levi. Levi wasn't invented back in those days. And yet Melchizedek received tithes. He had the authority of God to receive tithes and received them from Abraham and blessed him that had the promises. And without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. Now watch verse 8. And here, that means here on earth, men, that's the Levitical priesthood, men that die receive tithes, but there, now that's up in heaven, he, that's Jesus Christ, receiveth them, that's our tithes. See that? Jesus is in heaven, and he receives our tithes. As we tithe by faith, Jesus receives them, of whom it is witnessed that he liveth. Now that's a very important passage. There are many Christians who just don't want to tithe. They, they want to keep all their money to themselves. They don't want to give anything to God. And so they'll come up with every excuse possible. And one of the excuses that they come up with is, whoa, no, tithing, that's legalistic, that's Mosaic law. Tithing was under the Mosaic law. God put it there because it was the right thing to do. Now, if we were living thousands of years ago under the Mosaic law, we would be commanded, required to tithe. If we didn't, we'd be breaking the law. We'd also be commanded and required to make sacrifice. Why? Because these things were good and proper under that dispensation. God has brought us out from under law. Hooray, we're not under law anymore. What does that mean? It means we have the freedom and power to do the right thing. Under the law, they were commanded also to read the Bible and teach their children godliness and to pray huh? and to be found faithful in the house of the Lord. And here we are. We're not under law. We're under grace. Aren't you glad? I sure am. We've got the freedom and with the Holy Spirit, we have the ability and the power to pray, read the Bible, teach our children about godliness, be faithful to the house of the Lord. Does it stop there? No, there are other things. There are other things we do, including witnessing, including tithing, including just living for Jesus. And these are things that we're required to do. And now we've got the freedom and, and the ability to do it. Praise the Lord. You know, as children growing up, we're supposed to be taught the good and narrow way. And when we get out of line, we get disciplined and brought back into line. And so the idea is that when we reach adulthood, we should be responsible and godly and honest and hardworking, and we should have these character qualities. And we don't all have them. But when we get out from under the teaching, the tutelage of our parents, we're supposed to carry on and do the right thing. We are out from underneath law. We're in grace, and we're supposed to do the right thing. And I think that this is the right thing. And so getting back to Melchizedek, 
his authority. He received tithes from Abraham. Tithing was a religious practice. Even the heathen understood that you honor deity with your tithes. It shows great respect and honor to the recipient. I've told you the story about the man that went to visit a couple of friends of his, and he knew that they each had a little girl. And so he brought a little present for those little girls. And the first man he visited, his old buddy, his old chum, and his little girl was there, and the man, the visitor, brought her a box of chocolates and said, here you are, sweetheart, it's for you. And that little girl, wide-eyed, she grabbed those chocolates, ran down the hallway into her bedroom, and she came out about 15 minutes later with chocolate all over her face and her hands and some on her dress. Boy, she enjoyed it. Well, they had a good laugh over that. He went to visit his second friend, his old buddy, and he had a little girl as well. So the visitor brought out another box of chocolates and said, here, sweetheart, this is for you. <gasps> the little girl was wide-eyed like this. She opened the box of chocolates and then offered the first chocolate to the visitor. You see the difference? That's why it's so important that we honor deity. We honor our creator, our maker, our sustainer. We honor our God with our tithes. Now the world, they don't tithe. They take their money and just gobbledygook all down themselves. Beloved, we're different. God blesses us with income. We turn in faith and say, Thank you, Heavenly Father. Here's the first portion for you. God's promise is still true, that if you will do that, He will bless you. And He will open to you the windows of heaven. God always blesses tithing. I've been saved for over 45 years, and I've been tithing for well over 45 years. I started tithing before I got saved. I kind of think that if tithing didn't work, that if tithing wasn't the will of God, that if God didn't bless tithing, I kind of think that in 45 years I would have figured it out. But I'm telling you something. God blesses when I tithe. He blesses me. Say, why does God do that? Because God has made a promise. In Malachi chapter 3, for example, verse 10 teaches us that when we tithe, God takes notice and he will bless that back to us. Are you tithing? Now, Melchizedek, we need to hurry up here and finish. We have finally the mystery of this fellow. We've looked at his name. We've looked at his city, his provisions, his office, his authority. And now we look at his mystery. And for this, I just want you to look once more at Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. Pardon me while I get a little water. Boy, that tastes good. Cold water when you're thirsty. Wow. So does the Word of God. It tastes good. I'm thirsty a lot. I'm thirsty a lot for cold water. I drink a lot of water. And I'm thirsty a lot for God's Word. I hunger and thirst after a close walk with Him, fellowship with Him. Do you, beloved? We've got here in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 3. A description of Melchizedek. He has no lineage behind him. 
and no lineage in front of them. <clears throat> Look at verse 3. Without father, without mother. What does that mean? That he had no earthly father? He had no earthly mother? That's not what it means. It means that we, we don't know who his father was. We don't know who his mother was. And there are, by the way, some people in this world like that. They seem to be strangers. They come out of the woodwork. We don't know anything about them. Well, this is like Melchizedek. Without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Our Lord Jesus Christ is eternal God. That's what Paul is saying here in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 3. Jesus Christ is eternal God, without beginning, without ending. Amen. And so this is the mystery of Melchizedek, and this is why God put Melchizedek in the Bible, because he's just a little mystery guy, but he pictures for us our wonderful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, my friend, as a Christian, people around you are watching you. They're watching your life. They're watching how you live. They're watching your daily behavior. People are watching you. You may not realize it or think it, but it's, they're, they're doing it. It's happening. People are watching you, and they're listening to what comes out of your mouth, and they're watching how you live your life. Say, who's, who's doing all this watching? Well, number one, it's under your own roof. Be it your husband, your wife, your children, your mother, your father, whoever is under your roof in your home. Those people, number one, are the first ones watching you. And they know what's important, what you consider important. They can see what you do when you get out of bed in the morning and how you live your life. They can see when you come home from work, maybe at the end of the day and what you do and before you go to bed. They can see what's important to you. That's why it's very important that you live your life for the Lord Jesus Christ. Abraham did it. He met up with Melchizedek and realized that this man worshipped the same God he did. And so by faith, he honored God by giving tithes to Melchizedek. Melchizedek brought out for him bread and wine, provision. God will always meet your needs. He always will. But seek ye first the kingdom of, of, of heaven. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. God has made you promise. He's your heavenly father. He'll meet your needs. You need to live for him. And so there's the people under your own roof. And then there's the people in your lineage. Maybe you've moved out of house and home. You've got a mom and a dad someplace, brothers and sisters. Those people are watching your life as well. And the third class are your friends. Your friends at school, your friends at work, your neighbors. They're watching you too. My question is, do they see Jesus in you? Can they see a life that's living for God? Now, listen, are you ready to stand before Jesus Christ and have him sift through your life and look at everything in your life? Oh, my friend, tonight would be a wonderful opportunity to draw close in with the Lord. 
Maybe you need to do a little repenting. Maybe you need to ask God's forgiveness for some bad attitudes or some improper words that may have come out of your mouth. Maybe you've got some some changes that need to be made, serious changes in your life. Would you do that? Would you do that, please, in your heart of hearts? Let's bow in prayer.